Welcome to Rethinking Education. Education's critical friend. Hello and welcome, or welcome back possibly. I have a slightly different offering for you today, an audio recording of a video that we recorded earlier, the first in a series of what we're referring to as Rethinking Education Campfire Conversations. These are shorter, more spontaneous group conversations to run alongside the podcast, which as you may have noticed, tends to take the form of long-form conversations of around two to three hours, usually with one person, although we have a few duos coming up in the coming weeks. I wasn't actually planning on publishing the Campfire Conversations as a podcast. These are live-streamed as videos. However, someone on Twitter asked this morning whether they would be published as a podcast, and I thought, well, why not give it a go? Obviously, the advantage of a podcast is that you can listen while you're walking the dog or commuting or doing the dishes or whatever, and you can't really do that quite so easily with a YouTube video. So, I'll publish this one as a podcast and we'll see how it goes. If enough people listen, then obviously it's something that people want and I'll continue to publish them as podcasts as well as videos. And if you want to see all of our beautiful faces in the video version, there's a link in the show notes. There you will also find a link to the Rethinking Education Mighty Network, the global community of parents, teachers, researchers and young people who think it might just be possible to rethink education in such a way as to bring about a more harmonious, less hair-raising way of being. Campfire Conversations will be held once a fortnight on Saturdays at 12 noon UK time and will feature different guests each week. Today's first ever episode features a conversation between myself, my long-standing partner in crime Kate McAllister, Kate's niece Grace, and three people who we met through the Mighty Network, Kath Pratt, Sarah Fraser, and Natalie Rothwell-Warn. I hope you enjoy the show. Welcome, people who are watching or maybe watching to the very first ever episode of the Rethinking Education Campfire Conversations. As you can see, we have a uh, actual real life fire in the background here. So we are joined today by a number of friends and we're going to just start by whizzing around the screen and uh, we'll have a quick introduction. So would you like to go first, Kate? Yes, thank you, James. My name is Kate McAllister. I am the co-founder and co-director of Rethinking Education with Mr. Dr. James Mannion there. Um, I'm also the principal of the Hive School in Dominican Republic. I've been an educator for about 20 years, been rethinking education since I knew education was a thing. Thank you. And next we'll go to Grace. Hi, um, I'm Grace McAllister. Um, I'm a volunteer at the Hive School in the Dominican Republic and I have been out of um, traditional education for two years so I'm 19 now and I've been interested in changing um, traditional education since I started hearing about life. Great thank you. Kath? Hi um, I'm Kath Pratt. Uh, I'm founder at Seweni which is like a social enterprise that reimagines education for a sustainable planet. Um, I think the best way to describe me is probably a childhood freedom fighter. 
um, I feel like I sort of still creep through the gaps in the hedge to find the forbidden sprawling acres and climbing big old trees and uh, for the view and the bugs and the ancient roots as well. Um, I've been reimagining education and schooling for about 18 years um, and trying to change things from the inside and now trying to change things from the outside. Um, I was a primary teacher in inner London and then moved to the Caribbean and taught the IB PYP um, and I've also got four boys um, who have basically been to every single meeting uh, in, in founding Sewenny and they are very much a part of it. Um, they're a fairly, well they're a self-directed crew, uh, they're aged nine, seven, four and two and they teach me so much every day. And uh, I provide a lot of snacks, plasters, hugs, and transport. And so I'm a bit of a ruckus maker, I think is uh, Kate's favorite phrase. And, um, and I love, I, I'm really enjoying being part of the rethinking community that we all seem to have coalesced together. And uh, it feels really wonderful to have um, suddenly a group of people all kind of pulling in the same direction and asking some really big, deep questions. So um, hopefully we can talk the talk and walk the walk and make some change for our children now and generations to come. Indeed, amazing, thank you. Natalie. Hello, um, I'm Natalie Rothwell-Warren. Um, I'm a mum of three grown-up children now. Um, I was a teacher, primary school teacher for over 20 years. Uh, battled my way through the mainstream English education system, uh, protesting a lot on the way in staff meetings, struggling to agree with a lot of the stuff we had to do. Um, I left teaching in 2011 and went to do a master's in sustainable development, expecting to take on a new career path. Um, ironically, it brought me back into education, though, where I'm now doing a doctorate, which... Um, is roughly uh, driven by wanting to uh, see how um, uh, education in England can change through a grassroots approach um, and looking at it um, from a social sustainable perspective. Lovely, thank you. Sarah? Uh, hi, I'm Sarah Fraser and I've worked in education for probably the whole of my working life in some way. Uh, I was a mainstream teacher for a few years, about 10 years ago, and then I was a ruckus maker, but I was a ruckus maker on my own. So I had to give that up. And then I worked in TV for a few years, which was a complete career change, and then had my own little children who are four and two. And now I'm really interested in outdoors education, climate change, how that features within schools and so I'm almost at the end of my level three forest school and I personally feel like I've learned more about child development doing that course than I ever did doing anything to do with mainstream uh, and so for me these chats have been to meet like-minded people and also to try and yeah get groups of people together that are interested in similar things to create the grassroots network so hopefully that'll work. Thank you very much, uh, which leaves me. So I'm James and I was a secondary school science teacher for about 12 years. And now I work at the UCL Institute of Education um, and also as an educational consultant and writer and researcher. 
Um, I'm especially interested in things like learning to learn, teaching kids how to learn as well as what to learn. And that's a lot of the work that I've done with Kate over the last 10 years. And also in teacher research, which is essentially learning to learn for teachers and implementation science, how to make change effective um, and sustainable and lasting and, and meaningful. Um, and I'm also the host of the Rethinking Education podcast, which I set up a few months ago, which is sort of partly how I've come to meet all of these lovely people that I'm currently sharing a screen with. Um, so that's me. Before we get started into this conversation, I'm going to ask Kate just to explain a little bit about the Rethinking Education Mighty Network and how we came to this decision to start this series of campfire conversations. Okay. <clears throat> Thanks, James. First, I need to say ruckus maker is not my term. It comes from the wonderful Becky Carlson, and I've just appropriated it because I love it, and I am a ruckus maker, and she named me. She outed me as a ruckus maker, and I really enjoyed it. So um, now I'm looking for more to join our gang, but it's really her gang. Um, <clears throat> okay, so the Mighty Network. James and I have been having these kind of campfire conversations for 15 or more years. Um, in the staff room, in the pub, at each other's houses for dinner, with anybody who listen, lots of people who wouldn't really have chosen to listen. It's pretty much all we've done for the last 15 years, but it's just been the two of us and, and a few willing or unwilling people who've been roped in. And the conversation is much bigger, needs to be much bigger than that. And so uh, when James was starting the podcast, we were talking about how we can bring more voices into the conversation. And I had been on a mighty network. I'm on several, actually. Um, I joined one years ago for Yoga with Adrienne. And, um, and I said, I think this is a really good platform because it's, it's really open and only people who want to come will come. And there's no adverts and there's no hierarchy. And it's a safe space to say how you really think and feel. And so we started a mighty network with no great expectations. We just thought we'll put it there and we'll see if anybody wants to join. And it's just snowballed and all of the wonderful people on the screen we didn't know before we had our mighty network. And now we're talking all the time and it, it really has a, an energy. And I know that it's going to grow as more and more of you come in and everybody's starting their own campfire conversations. So that's what the mighty network is for. It's for everybody. Anybody and everybody who's interested in having open, frank conversations about how to rethink and redo education systems, mainstream, home ed, what working, uh, education at work, learning and development in the workplace, anything like that we are interested in talking about. So that's why we have this mighty network. Thank you for mm. joining. Yes, indeed. Yeah, thank you indeed for joining us. Um, and so just to share with you one example of um, we get like lots of people have joined this community. There's about 200 in there now. And, and we, we set it up just sort of on a whim, really, on the night of the lockdown three was announced at the start of, of January. Um, and people joined for all kinds of reasons. But there was a message that came through just this morning, which I thought I'd share some some of, of uh, the text with you because it's quite powerful. Uh, so, so when people sign up to join the network, it says, why did you join? And they have to give a reason so that you can check that it's not just a bot, right? And this person wrote, for so many reasons, I'm an early years educator with a degree in children's development and learning and a forest school leader with qualifications with no idea what path to take next, as I can't teach in a system that has no respect for child development or emotional well-being. 
I'm a parent struggling to find schools for my two children that aren't compromises on my own ethos and values. It only seems to be getting worse in the UK. I'm sad, angry and frustrated. And that's not necessarily typical of everybody who's in this community, but it is quite, you know, like those sort of ideas come across that there's a really sort of a real sense of exasperation that, that things are as rigid and as sort of as unyielding as they are, and that we're not meeting the needs of so many young people. And we're going to get into all of that. Um, so it's very lovely to see that this community has, has taken off and that it's thriving and that we're meeting all of these, these like-minded people um, who who didn't really know, you know, that the other people were were banging their head against the same wall, essentially, but all just sort of invisibly. And now we can see one another. And that's great. So so um, the idea of these campfire conversations is essentially to have shorter, more sort of spontaneous group conversations that will sit alongside the podcasts, which are very long. The podcasts are like usually two or three hours long. And it's just like a planned conversation with one person. And they're very in-depth long form conversations. So these will run alongside the podcast and there'll be different guests each time. Sometimes it'll be the same people that you see here, sometimes different. Um, and as far as we can, we want to involve young people in this in this conversation. There's an amazing video that came out this week. Um, if you look up CAP 2030, CAP standing for Children in All Policies, um, which is a, makes a very strong case. It was um, came out with uh, UNESCO and the Lancet and Independent Sage Group were behind it. Um, and so it's great to have Grace with us this week to represent the uh, the youngsters uh, in the world. And next time we're going to be joined by somebody from Pupil Power, which is a group uh, dedicated to involving young people in decision making around how we educate young people. So that's great. Um, and so to anybody who's watching this, um, welcome. It's really lovely to have you with us. And please do feel free to join us by commenting on Facebook. Uh, you can ask, add any comments at any point. You can ask questions and I'll keep my eye. I've never done this before, so forgive me if I, if I take a while to keep, to keep up. But please do comment throughout and we will maybe sort of pause the conversation every now and then if some good questions come through. Um, yeah, okay. That's the housekeeping bit out of the way. So before we get into the big conversation, I'm going to ask Natalie to say a few words about this idea called appreciative inquiry, which is a kind of loose framework, if you like, that is going to help us to give some shape to these conversations as we move through the next however many conversations it will take to save the world through education. It might take a few. Who knows? We might fix it today. So, so um, over to you, Natalie. Yeah, um, so Appreciative Inquiry was developed by two people, um, David Cooper Ryder and I can't remember the first name, but Srivastva, back in the late 80s. And it, since then, it's actually gained a lot of momentum with organisations and institutions, um, including things, uh, companies like British Airways and even the United Nations have used it. Um, when tackling particular issues that they want to resolve within their own organisation or their own company. Um, and, yeah, as James says, it's a, it's a framework. So it's a kind of tool, really, that just helps to frame uh, conversations, gives them some structure and guidance, um, and helps to sort of lead through a whole process. So uh, it starts off with defining where you identify what it is the conversation is going to be about, um, and then there's discover, there's five Ds, 
there's then Discover, which is a time where you kind of collect stories about what the situation is at the moment. Um, and then there's Dream, which is all about thinking about, well, what is it that we're actually aiming for? What do, what do we want um, uh, things to be like, whether it be within a company or an organization? Um, then there's Design, where you start thinking about um, how can we make our dreams become real? And the final bit is destiny, and that's putting those thoughts about how you make your dreams real into action. Um, the one thing I would say about appreciative inquiry, um, I've just started to use it in research that I'm doing, and I'm using it for the first time. But something I've noticed is that it can be sort of limited to a particular organization or a particular company or whatever. Um, and I think probably um, something to be aware of is that uh, that you can have the option to look broadly, more broadly than that. I think the education system lends itself to being able to look more broadly. Um, and yeah, I think that's probably all I need to say about it at this stage. Mm, lovely, thank you. Um, and absolutely, you know, this all joins up. I think that one of the things that we're going to see is how quickly, you know, education joins up with issues like the environment and things that are going on that are considered to be external to education, but actually really should perhaps be integral to our thinking as we're thinking about how to educate young people for the, uh, for the modern world. So let's get cracking. So as Natalie said, there's five Ds, define, discover, dream, design, and deliver, or destiny, the destiny, the final one. So we're gonna get into define. And essentially what we mean by define is we want to define why it is that we're having these conversations you know today we're not going to try and define all the problems to do with education for example or all the brilliant things through education um so but it is a good idea to look at those the, the sort of the positives and the negatives if you like the bright side and the shadow side so let's have a quick fire round um about things that we would like to see more of things that we would like to see less of any topics that you would like to unpick uh, any future guests that you would like to involve in these conversations and this goes for the people on screen and also for people commenting we've already had a comment uh, coming through about how there's lots of ex-teachers um, in the in this in this world of ours and that you know it's really hard to maintain um, you know the number of teachers that we that we uh, train um, so let's start with Kath what would you like to see more of? What would you like to see less of? What would you like to see us tackling in these conversations? Oh my goodness, that's such a huge, huge uh, thing to just hand me there, Jade. Brilliant. Quick, quick um, fire okay. as well. Quick fire as well. Okay, so my thing I think is probably um, is fences and fear of fear of children um, and why we are kind of hell bent really at the moment on on sort of controlling and and um, preventing them from being <laughs> fundamentally. Um, I just find it absolutely um, fascinating how uh, childhood has been defined by enclosures for many, many years since um, sort of schooling became mandatory in, I think, 1893. And so we started a mighty network with no great expectations. We just Oops, sorry, that was me. And we see how uh, childhood has been defined by... <laughs> Yes, yeah, so fences, and that's what I would like to, to think about. Quick fire. Yes, thank you. Uh, Grace? 
Um, I think uh, the standardised testing in the UK um, is a big problem and it sets a lot, well, it sets a 30 or 40%, maybe more, I don't know the statistic, of kids up to fail every single year and that's um, very damaging to their um, self-confidence and their morale um, in education. They associate education with um, negativity and failing, which isn't a good start to life. Yeah, thank you. That's something that I talk about almost endlessly <laughs> like just how how outrageous it is that the system sets up one third of young people to fail um it's absolutely crazy and it doesn't have to be this way um thank you that's a really good one sarah right i've got a bit of a list now so i'm just gonna have to smash through this as quickly as i can <laughs> sorry um so one of my things is nature and the natural world and how we could teach children more about uh, natural resources, although I hate the word resources, but consuming responsibly, you know, the huge deal, which is climate change, has to be at the top of the list in schools, or it should be at the top of the list in schools. I want to hear more about play uh, through the ages, all the way from early years, but right up to higher education. You can call it something different if you can't call it play at higher education, but it needs to be unpicked, I think, and embedded. Um, the mind, so not just learning in schools. We always talk about learning all the time, but the mind is more than learning. So I'd love for people to start unpicking that rather than it always be, let's just read another article about how this excels learning in some way. We need to talk about feelings, we need to talk about awareness, consciousness, thought, you know, everything that is the mind. Um, Community, I'd like to hear more from. So parents, what their involvement is, local business, you know, anything to do with locale and how you can open the doors of schools instead of having this us and them thing all the time. Uh, I'd love to hear more about emergence, which maybe covers inquiry-based learning, but also, you know, emergence on any level. So it's not just this like flat playing field of education is this and this is the standard but allowing things to pop up and instead of it being like a whack a rat thing where you smack children down or you smack teachers down or whatever it's like how do you support that emergence and where does it lead um and then I want to hear more about the UN rights of the child because when I did my PGCE um and BEd's probably completely different I don't know anything about that but when I did my training we didn't do anything on the rights of the child and that I find utterly ridiculous. So I'd love to unpick that more and maybe hear some more people. Do they learn about it in the PGCE? Was it the day I wasn't there or something? Um, so that's my roundup. Anyway, sorry it wasn't that quick. Oh, it's perfect. Thank you very much. Natalie. Um, so, yeah, what I'd like to have more of, um, I'd like to have more young um, presence, young people's presence, um, involved in conversations about education and their views and opinions of how they think it should be um, and I'd like to kind of uh, have more conversations about what it actually means to be human because um, coming from mainstream education I think that feels like it's lost in, in mainstream education at the moment uh, the way language is used between teachers and pupils, especially around exam times, it's, it's most inhuman sometimes because of the pressures that people are feeling. 
Um, so, yeah, I'd like to have more conversations where we're actually talking about, well, what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be young? And what do young people want in, as an experience for, for education, which they feel will set them up for um, lifelong learning and also just to be living in the world that we live in today? Um, less, the, less, uh, uh, the things that I'd like to see less of within education is uh, for me, being a systems thinker, it's um, government involvement. I really feel like education needs to be uh, unpoliticized. It needs to step away from politics. Um, and we, it'd be great if we can find a way of having uh, our own institution, so to speak, an institution of education where you've actually got a body of people that who do understand about child development, child psychology, what it means to nurture a human being. Um, they the ones that drive um, education by including uh, all the voices that you need to make sure it stays on track and remains on track for being um, fit for purpose. Mm. Yes, thank you very much. I'm just going to quickly share a few comments because on Facebook, I can't figure out how to see them all. I can only see the top few that are coming through, so I'll say them as they come through. Um, there's a few people who've been saying that they they uh, are loving this idea of of tearing down fences and they love um, what what Grace was saying about about standardised testing. Ruth Atkins is uh, saying that uh, the, the same sort of thing that you were talking about, Sarah, about how four years of a B Ed, um, but there's nothing on anything like the rights of the child. Um, and it's, and Molly said something similar as well. And so, you know, there's lots of lots of um, resonance happening out in the people watching us. Kate. What would I like to see more of? I would like to see more care in education. I would like to see more attention placed on relationships, um, relationships with themselves, I, relationships with each other, relationships to the planet we all share. Education is this strange place where the only thing we think about is what's going on inside our heads and how much knowledge we can amass and then regurgitate before we're allowed to leave with a certificate that says we did well enough. And we don't care about the bodies that carry these heads around all day. And we don't look after them. And we don't look after each other. And we don't look after our surroundings or anything. We just care about how much we're learning. And I, I feel like that's a real missed opportunity to support young people to become strong in many senses. And so I would like to see us paying more care and attention to how, how young human children develop into strong, well-rounded, resilient, not resilient in the sense of they'll put up with anything. That's not how I view resilience resilient as in they can try new things and bounce back when they fail and keep going and try something new again. So I would really like to see a much more integrated model where we look at how, how children grow into adults and fit into the world outside of school and prepare them for the world outside of school too. And I would like to see less narrowing of what we are covering when we're in schools. It's like there's a very narrow avenue up which children travel and at the end of it there are tests and they don't take into account everything that children are good at and everything that they're learning how to do and I think that that's a shame because as Grace said a third of them 
will already know once they're a few years up that pipeline that they're not going to make it to the end. They're not going to come out anywhere near the top and and they lose motivation, rightly so, um, and feel like they're not good enough. And yet they're good at lots of different things that we're not measuring and caring about. Um, and so that's what I would like to see. Mm. Thank you. <clears throat> um, so, so I'll go last. I, th- I mean, I, I, I could talk all day about about what I want to do differently, but I'm going to try and keep it down to just like just to pick up on the thing that Kate said. I think like to to try to zoom out from all of the multitudinous sort of aspects of this debate because it's huge, isn't it? Education is just such a massive thing. But to even just the phrase rethinking education, it's like it's deceptively simple but it's just it's just vast but to pick out one thing that Kate said this thing about narrowing the narrowing of the curriculum the narrowing of you know you start with sort of 10 or nine subjects and then if you go on to do a levels then there's three and if you go on to degree then it's one right and it's like the whole thing is just like a process of funneling you down into into one um you know subjects to study and likewise if you come back to what what Grace was talking about about standardized testing you know the GCSE We've got this bottleneck, this very narrow bottleneck, this one mad month at the at the end of year eleven, that through which all must pass and be filtered out like a sorting hat, and it just you know that to come back to that comment that we saw earlier from somebody joining the network about like schooling doesn't reflect what we know about child development, the most basic level of which is that people develop at different rates at different speeds and they're not all ready to go through a period of a process of high stakes testing in the same month when they're in the 15th or 16th year. Like it's just absolutely mad. And it doesn't have to be that way with like the human diversity is, is almost infinite, you know? And I think that we could celebrate that diversity. And instead of having this sort of bottleneck thing where everybody's got to go through this one central process, we could have a system that's a lot more flexible and takes account of the, the enormous diversity of human interests and celebrate and, and acknowledge and um, recognize all kinds of, of you know, ways in which people can grow and develop and just be a bit more flexible. Because it seems like lots of the conversations, go back to what you were talking about, Kath, is like there's always top-down pressure, isn't there? We've got all these behavior hubs at the moment that's like this, this is the way to, to do behavior in schools. And Gavin Williamson gave a speech recently, the Secretary of State, where he said, um, you know, we now know how what good teaching looks like. It's kids sitting in rows, expert at the front of the room, direct instruction. And it's like this, this hopelessly in, inadequate sort of response to the to this diversity of experience and the, all these ways in which childhood can take us that it's like trying to exert this top-down pressure on top of it all to control everything and it just doesn't have to be that way we could have a much more flexible system that would be my sort of my my top thing is just to think about how that what that might look like okay so let's get into it um I'll go back and have a look at some of the comments now. So who would like to start? Let's just have like a show of hands from this point on. We were halfway through this conversation. So the second half of this conversation, Sarah's up like a like a rapid drain. Let's go. Um, Sarah, what would you like to kick off with? Well, I just wanted to say, yeah, a funnel is a choking device, isn't it? So, I mean, if you look at it like that, and you could, you don't have to train teachers unless there's the framework at the top, you don't have to train teachers and spend the entire nine months of PGCE or three years of a B.Ed. or whatever it is 
to train them on how to impart knowledge on children. You can train them to be picking up on things practically and uh, working in a constructivist way, which is how you do a forest school way, for example. But the thing I really wanted to pick up on really quickly was what Kate was saying. And I was looking at the Green School Bali website the other day, and the principal in that school uses the word love on in every post he puts. You know, it's love, climate, love the children. And I started thinking about, is there ever a teacher, a head teacher that I have ever met in a staff room anywhere in mainstream school that has ever been able to use the word love? And I couldn't think of one. And I thought, wow, you know, if this is how education is, this is just a really fine point um, to pick up on. But if we can't use words like that with children and we can't display uh, language around love and care and connection, and it's all about knowledge and competition and your place in the world and, you know, all of that sort of stuff. How do we ever expect these children to come out of that system and feel valued and comfortable in themselves and willing to participate in the world? So even, you know, Kate's point was just so succinctly put that the relationship thing is so massive. And I'd love for, for people that work in education to be more like people because we wouldn't hesitate to say that stuff to our kids. Why wouldn't we hesitate to say it to other people's kids? Anyway, that's my rant. <laughs> it's really hard for lots of people to say, um, to use the word love and to feel it um, and to not feel embarrassed for it. Um, I've only really, I was doing a podcast yesterday and saying, um, you know, Brene Brown talks about being wholehearted and vulnerability. And she gets paid gazillions of dollars to go and talk to CEOs of companies that earn gazillions of dollars about love, about vulnerability, about caring for their staff and understanding that if you do that, the people who work with you thrive mm -hmm. and therefore you earn more money because everybody is in your company thriving. And why don't we get it? Why don't we get that in schools? Why, why is it only if you end up in a top company in San Francisco that people start to care about you? Some children go through an entire school system, get spat out at 16 thinking that they're failures, and no one actually cares about them or tells them they're marvelous, potentially for a whole lifetime. Um, or sees the marvel in each person. It's not about saying it and not meaning it. It's about looking for what's special in each human being um, and helping them to find it and grow it. And I don't, I genuinely don't see any good reason why schools can't do both things. I don't see why you can't teach stuff to kids because it's important for them to know stuff, right? That helps them make sense of the world around them. Um, I'm not advocating for a, for a world with no knowledge in it. Um, but knowledge and care about the whole human being and knowledge and care about how other human beings function <laughs> and knowledge and care about the systems that hold us all together and how to make them healthy and how to make them flow in both directions. There's time for both of those things in a school day. Mm. There's ample time. There's just not the willingness to do it. And I don't know whether it's a vulnerability issue. No one wants to be the first one to say so. Yeah. Um, or whether... People don't know how because no one's ever treated them that way. I'm not yeah. sure. 
Um, if I can pick up on that, I agree completely with what you're saying. And it actually reminded me when I was a practitioner, um, so still in primary school, um, teaching, that we were very aware of all the top-down pressure that was coming on us from government and then from school leaders to get the kids to perform for the SATs at primary level. Um, uh, and we're trying to hold that. I, I sometimes used to think I was a dam in the classroom and I had my little village of children in front of me. And But I was holding back all this crap, sorry, but yes, the stuff that was bearing down on me that really could bear down on them. Um, if I if I couldn't be strong enough to filter it through in such a way that they would be able to manage it, um, and it, it was it was really hard. And I think for wanting to try and be a voice for teachers, I think there's a lot of teachers out there who really do care about kids and really do want to have good relationships with them. But I think there are certainly periods of time, especially around SATs, GCSEs maybe not so much A-levels, but the pressure and stress that's put on teachers to get a certain number of grades so that it makes the school look good for school league tables, et cetera, et cetera. I think that then filters out a stress, which is what the, the kids are on the receiving end of. And teachers then struggle to try and maintain that balance of care and love. Um, but uh, it, which why for me it's it's to do with more of um, the top down stuff that has to be disrupted and uh, it just seems to be getting worse and it doesn't seem to matter which political party's in power because I was shocked when Tony Blair came into power and sustained what the Conservatives had set up with education. Um, so yeah. But yes, we definitely need that love, but we need to find ways that I think of disrupting those uh, stress causes um, and sort of just take a step back from it all and say, look, we're not doing any good here. We're causing a lot of damage. Thanks, Natalie. Um, I just want to um, talk about a little example that happened when um, we were running Sueni. And I think it kind of like sums up quite a lot of what we're talking about. So we had a few issues with some of the children, you know, being a bit mean. Um, and uh, we I sort of sat them all down and um, we had a giant ball of, of string. It was actually a massive ball of, of, of wool. And I sat down and I sort of started passing a piece to Jack. And I said, Jack, I'm feeling really connected to you right now because you and I made the bread together this morning. We were chatting and you were telling me that hilarious story about whatever it was. And I said, I'm going to give you a piece of this string because I feel like you and I are pretty connected right now. And and Jack's like, oh, wow, brilliant. OK, great. I've got a string. And I said, you know, and and could you pass it back to me? Did you feel the same? And and he did. And, and I was like, OK, now I'm looking around and like, oh, goodness, you know, this this little girl, Maisie, you've done brilliantly today. I you, you came in, you were feeling a bit worried and anxious and you came in and you bounded up to me. I'm going to give you a string as well. And then she was really made up. And then she started passing it to the next person. And before long, we had an incredible kind of like spider web of connections where all the children were each one connected to the other one and all connected to me. 
And the fascinating thing was um, I then took out rather maybe slightly too dramatically a sort of bread knife. <laughs> so we've just had bread. <laughs> and I said, so I am going to say something, uh, you know, a bit nasty, a bit unkind. What is going to happen? This is my unkind stuff. What is going to happen? They're like, oh, don't cut the string. Don't disconnect us. Like, this is just horrific. What a horrific idea. And I said, well, I'm I'm going to choose to. And I and I cut it. And they were just like, oh, like physically really alarmed with this disconnect that we suddenly had. And, and I was just like, so so what are we going to do about this? And they're like, uh, uh, tape, uh, uh, where's some tape? And and so they went and got some some gaffer tape and some some and they called it the sorry tape. <laughs> and I said, okay, so I need to use this and apologize for the thing that I said, and I wrapped it up. Okay, cool. Is that strong? And I said, well, I think it's strong. It might pull apart again. How can we make it a bit stronger? Oh, let's tie it up as well. So we had a sorry knot and a sorry tape thing. And I think from then on, our group connection and our group understanding of relationship and love for each other and seeing these little things that the, the little things that we did for each other as being a sort of string, a connection, like massively brought the group together. And I think we need these kind of visible ways of describing the things that Brené Brown talks about and, and all of this stuff that people can imagine and really imagine the kind of, you know, literally the bread knives that we take to each other and, 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 and the connection, the disconnection we now have with our natural world that I think could really help. Anyway, there we go. <laughs> <clears throat> What do you think about what you've been hearing, Grace? Um, yeah, I was going to agree with um, Catherine that when we, uh, I've been uh, volunteering at the Hive and at, in an alternative education, and um, you can really see the difference between the kids that have been there for a long time and have always been in alternate systems of education and the kids that have just come from traditional education. Like recently we were basing on like a whole day a whole two days just on respect and why we should respect each other what things we should respect and like you could see that some of the kids from the outside were just so um like bamboozled by the idea of what why are we talking about this and about how we feel and how we should why are we actually talking about how we should treat each other because a lot of the time I think especially for me coming from traditional education as well like it's just an unspoken thing you just kind of you know you should be nice to people but and obviously there's always a few anti-bullying talks but there's never like days based on respect and love um so when I've come made that trans transition um to be to be around alternative education um I I found it quite hard to kind of it's just like a lot of uh, like uneducating myself I don't know how to word it properly um, and how I've been taught and how I should feel and I shouldn't be like oh, what's why are we talking about respect I, sh I need to and I want to endorse it more but it's just really it's like I'm in a box and I'm like oh why are we talking about this it's so awkward I don't get it but I'm trying to understand it a bit more yeah it's a massive thing to go through isn't it people sometimes refer to that process as de-schooling you know, that you're sort of just trying to de-school your mind. And I had to go through that process when I worked in an alternative setting for a while. I was thinking with my teacher's hat on, I was thinking this place should be shut down. This is not OK. The children can just do what they want. 
but you know, looking at it with a different with a different hat on, and having got rid of that hat after a while, I started to look at it through fresh eyes and see see it for its benefits. Sarah, were you going to pick up on something there? I was just going to say exactly the same thing, and I wanted to ask Grace that as well because on the Mighty Network we were talking about that very thing about unlearning, and we were talking. It was Natalie, I think, and Fabienne as well were talking between the three of us. And it's that process now, maybe after COVID, maybe after just being around like-minded guys like you, um, you're like unlearning everything that you learned when you were training to be a mainstream teacher. So I've got to forget all that if I'm going to work in forest school, because the two are like polar opposite. And I was going to ask you, Grace, so coming from mainstream school that was really quite conservative, I was going to ask you that question. Do you feel now that around Kate's school, you as a as a teacher is go, are going through an unlearning process where you're having to kind of come out of your box of this is where I'm comfortable because I've just spent 15 years doing this to right, what do I think is morally sound? Because I believe that schools, don't, not all schools, this is by the way, just a few mainstream ones. You, as you go through that system, a child and a teacher, you're losing your ability to be in touch with your gut instinct. The thing you would naturally be like with your own children or your own friends, you are losing that through this system. And I wonder now whether you're having to go like, right, it's so uncomfortable to be like this, but this is the right thing for this 15 year old. So I'm just going to break out that box. Is that how you feel at Hive? Um, yeah, well, at the start, so I went to I went to an all girls Catholic school, and then I went to a quite uh, like a grammar school that was very like high achieving, like grades, 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 grades. It's just you get there, and that's all we, that's all you're ever taught about. Um, so then when I came to the hive, I was yeah, I was overwhelmed by the I, I was like, but where, what, 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 when are they going to write stuff down? But when are they going to when, how are we going to know what they're, how the parents know what they're learning? Like how, do you know, a, a lot of stuff about recording learning and, and how are they going to be assessed? And then I kind of realized, I was like, wait, that doesn't actually matter. Like these kids, like none of them are crying because they don't want to be at school. None of them, I mean, obviously a few of them feel anxious, but a lot of those kids are the ones that have come from traditional education and they're also overwhelmed by everything around them and everyone moves freely and, like you're not you're not in a box there so um I it's I still get little like bits in my head like oh what what oh it's traditional education is like all I've known so um sometimes it comes back to me and then I kind of have to have to fight it and be like no because that's made you miserable and um made a lot of my friends miserable maybe they don't know it and a lot of people but a lot of people aren't ready to sorry one more thing a lot of people aren't ready to accept that it's made them miserable and it's made them just very um grade driven and and like degree like that's all they want to do and some people are very high achieving but they don't want to accept that they've actually forgotten about who they are as people and how to make good relationships and like there's more to life than they wrote an a on your on your certificate that you got back well done you can remember two years of content and regurgitate it um and yeah so i think it's it does happen. You can um, de-school, but you just have to be ready to do it. And some people, and a lot of people, even young people, just aren't. They just they can't. I don't think, or they can't yet. Mm. Mm. 
Thank you. I just wonder whether it might be an idea, Kate, for you to share briefly what what the hive is, because one of the things we'll get more into this when we move into the discover part of this process. But um, people might not know what what you're talking about when you talk about the hive. Could you just give like a little two minute, like sort of succinct picture of what what the hive is and what it isn't? Sure. So I've been on this journey for a long time and it's culminated in me opening. It's an alternative to school. It's not a school. Um, it doesn't really have any of the features of a school apart from children and adults. So I'm calling it, it's not an alternative school, it's an alternative to school. So you can go there all day and be with other young people and adults and learn together. Um, and it is this fully integrated model that I want to see more of. And we talk to children about how their nervous systems work and how their bodies work and how they respond to stimuli and how they can choose to react or take a breath and then respond. And it's very open. We don't have bells and we don't really have a timetable. Parts of the day are fixed, like we eat at the same time every day, but we don't sit in the same place. Um, and so... It's an interesting mix of everything that I have learned about over the last 20 years, discovering, really caring about what makes human beings feel healthy and strong and well. Because as a teacher, I didn't feel healthy and strong and well. As a pupil myself, I didn't feel healthy and strong and well. And I have recognized that lots of my friends didn't as a teenager, they didn't as adult teachers. My Oldest child didn't feel healthy and strong and well in the education system. And, and I didn't think that was good enough. So the hive is designed to figure out what makes people healthy and strong and well. And that's what we're doing. And part of that is, is caring and asking and experimenting and trying and failing and trying and succeeding and understanding that what makes one person healthy and strong and well is not the same as the person next to them. Um, and so that's, that's what the hive is. So we've got all different kinds of teachers, all different kinds of kids. They're not really teachers, they're practitioners. Um, and it's in the Dominican Republic. So we have local Dominican children who are some of the least privileged children on the planet. And then we have world schooling families who are some of the most privileged on the planet. They travel the whole world using it as a classroom and they come together and we work on the sustainable development goals. That's how we've designed our curriculum to look at what we can each do as human beings to be the difference in the world. Mm. Yay. Amazing. If anyone watching is, is interested to hear more about that, there's a whole episode of the Rethinking Education podcast where Kate talks about that journey that was up until we need to get you back on soon, Kate. That was up until the point where the the, the hive was about to open. Um, I might just share a few comments um, that have been coming through. On I've figured out how to find out what people are writing. Um, so um, I won't I won't pick them all. That Louise was picking up on your point, Natalie, about taking the politics out of education. That was sort of my entry point years ago. I wrote one of those secret teacher columns on the guardian i think i can unmask myself now not that anyone cares um and the title of it was let's take the politics out of education and that seems to be a big part of this problem that it's like whatever like, like whatever 
like ideas we have for changing how we educate young people, it can't involve politicians because if it does, then the next politician will come along and just change it all again because that's what politicians do. So it kind of there's that quote by Buckminster Fuller, this idea that you sort of like if you want to change the system, you don't have to fight it. You have to invent something that that transcends the current paradigm. You know that it's somehow you know it's not dependent on some policymaker in in Whitehall. Um, so that's a head scratcher, but it's something to think about. Um, Fabienne was talking about about what what do we mean when we're talking about education and the extent to which education is synonymous with schooling, as opposed to lifelong learning. And Molly agreed with that and says that's a key interpretation. Too often education is about schooling, where it's much more about you know um, about one's life more widely. And Louise says we need to tackle both together. What we need to do, what do we need to do to support uh, children to grow into lifelong learners and to be good people, to be happy and fulfilled? Let's make that the the, the focus of school. Uh, and elsewhere, she said something else. What if it was about, you know, helping them to find what they're passionate about? And that's what I've thought for a long time. You know, how can we help them to find what they're good at, what really motivates them? Because the, finding what you're good at, that's a massive one. Because when a young person develops a sense of confidence, that like just opens every door. People talk about GCSEs opening doors. Confidence in your heart, confidence in yourself, self-belief will open a million times more doors than, than you know, some certificates will. Um, and being good at making friends, being good at maintaining relationships, being good at listening are incredibly important skills in every aspect of adult life. And they're not rewarded at all in school. Uh, like in traditional, there's no GCSE in, 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 in relationships. Yeah. Can I just chip in when we do um forest school training it's exactly that you know you are trying to build up the confidence of the children and you will find that it's usually the children that do really well in normal school that can't cope with forest school they're like what what do i have to do by when because i'm really good at that and then all those children that are labeled problem because of x y and z they bowl in and they're like, hey, we need to get a group of us together and we need to build this. And how do we do that? And what are we going to do? And they thrive in that environment. And it is working with the child and what the child's attributes are. And it's for the practitioner to see that. And that doesn't work if you've got a top down thing telling you what it is that they all need to have as an output. You've mm -hmm. got to have that thing where you go, right, you've got to come in underneath and be looking at those and putting that kid on a pedestal because they are really good at X. And that comes back to like you have a rite of passage in other cultures. And I start, you know, started wondering why aren't we doing that? Why aren't schools that anymore? Where's the rite of passage? Where is the school that you have? And it's got X amount of children. Obviously, it would have to be a few children and not 5,000. And a child has a mentor. Why isn't the teacher a mentor anymore? Where they're picking up on the child and going, I'm not your mom and dad. So I can't, you know, I'm not going to adore you for every single facet that you have. I'm going to see you and see your potential. And I'm going to show you that you will belong in this community because you have this strength. And I don't think schools do that. They do the opposite of that. If you don't fit in the box, you know, good. Whereas no one's telling them. And this is what I think as well. Sorry to just go on about the disadvantage gap. We always talk about this disadvantage gap and it's all to do with grades. And it really angers me because I think there's all these children coming from all walks of life, different parents, different experiences, the haves, the have nots. The disadvantage gap is in 
you know, early years parenting is in experiences. It's what can the school give the children to level the playing field in terms of care and attention and um, building up their confidence, building up themselves. That should be the disadvantage gap rhetoric rather than let's just get everyone to get a C or above because that's done nothing for the kid that has no confidence and never will have or has no way of interacting with other people because they've never been shown that model early on. I'll stop. <laughs> Absolutely agree completely, Sarah, with everything you're saying. I, I want to turn things a little bit on its head. And I think probably similar to what you're doing, Kate, is what if we looked at the environment that children are learning in rather than what the child, the outcomes that the children are achieving? That actually the assessment bit is assessing the environment for which in which the children are learning like what needs tweaking what why why is this child not thriving why you know what what do we need to change which expert do we need to bring in to enable that child to fulfill that plan and that and that and that part of their project you know that's that's really exciting and I think it does flip everything on its head um when we were keep coming back to the project I've been doing but um when we were doing so many we came up with like eight things that we thought were the kind of soil that that children really need and they were safety trust value nature connection um freedom uh purpose and agency and all of those things we found if we'd kind of got the mix right that children really hit the learning expressway and they were then able to pick up their their flashes of inspiration their kind of project um and then they could take it and they could drive it and they knew who to ask to help them to realize their goal and then they might find a dose of realism and dip down into a struggle pit you know and kind of be like I can't do this it's my vision is all I can't uh." and then and then but then they would figure out and we as educators would be there to help nudge them and steer them and drop a throw a few things in there to kind of mix up their thinking a bit and they would find a way out that might well be quite different to what their original inspiration was but that they would find a path to success from there and it was all about that safe environment that then enabled children to really explore and really find their purpose too and keeping that rich and keeping the opportunities flying in from you know we had musicians who were incredible who you know brought all their violins in and 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 we had all yeah all sorts of people people doing first aid people doing you know and the children were like oh that's interesting oh I'm going to do that oh ah, ah, ooh, ooh. uh but that kind of richness and school if schools were assessed on that mm-hmm. Then and and then the children could bloom in whichever way they 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 went they went and that would be really exciting. <laughs> yes, I agree, and I think that's why I'm so excited about this community growing, because those stories need to be told, and I really do believe that lots of people think it is the way it is because everybody's tried to change it and it didn't work and this is the best way. And I don't think that's true. I think lots of people have tried to change it. They've made it so good that they're just happily doing it differently and having a wonderful time, but we just don't know. And so I would really love this community to be able to shine a light on all of these other places that are doing it differently and it is working. And I remember being a a teacher in a school that had, you know, the five hour bells and trying to get the community involved. And it was impossible 
to try and line up the hour that you had with the musicians who wanted to come or the business people who wanted to come or it just was always so difficult mm. and so troublesome that you just gave up and just carried on doing something that was just more efficient mm. and so when you when you create space for flexibility and you hold that space and you trust that if you hold that space for long enough they will come through i think a lot of not wanting to change is fear-based, whether we like to admit it or not, right? Not, we, we, anyone who's read books on personal development and change understands that it's about fear-based decisions. So the more stories we have of the people who opened up the space and held it strong for long enough will, will I think, allay a lot of the fears that people in more mainstream and traditional education models have about when you start to loosen the nuts and bolts is the whole thing going to fall over because you know if it falls over and you get it wrong these are children's lives at stake right they don't have the GCSEs they need to get into college and you, you're, you're damaging them mm -hmm. if you don't do it properly and I understand that fear I hold it as a parent I hold it now as the director of a school um but I know because I am looking for those alternative stories that they are out there. And even when the fear creeps in, I hold the space and I keep the faith and I ask for help mm -hmm. and get people who've gone before me who know more to support me. So I really want this community to be that space. We can be that for each other. The people who are way ahead of me can come and give me advice. The people who want to get to where I am can talk to me. And so we can all help each other along a journey of feeling like we're supporting the learners in our care to be the best versions of themselves they can be. Exactly. Yep. Love it. Thank you. Um, I've got an eye on the clock. We've just gone over one o'clock. Um, and there's a few more comments that have come in from people that I think wrap things up quite nicely. And so I think I'll share a few comments and then we'll ask for a, a round of last words from each of you. Uh, and we might wrap it up for today because the, the, we could talk about this all day. I know we could, but I do want these these conversations to be respectful of people's Saturdays as well, you know. So so Ian Bremner, who's watching, said something really interesting about how um, we need to support teachers' awareness of the possibilities of how we can influence mind, body and brain. Like the, 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 everything is so cognitively focused, isn't it? Says we want teacher training that explores a wealth of research supporting the development of the whole person. Teachers are so driven by Ofsted, and that's all driven by all this talk about language and about, around memory in particular. This uh, that learning is defined as a change in long-term memory. Uh, that's the Ofsted definition. Um, and so he says we need discussion and conversation that does not have an end point that you need to use this for this particular practice in order to improve grades, but stuff around self about around teaching and learning and self regulated learning in particular. Um, and Donna um, said something sort of similar that in secondary was too much content in the curriculum. And I certainly can resonate with that as a secondary school teacher. We just had to cover so much stuff. And it was like an ocean that was about one inch deep. Like There's no depth to any of it. So you couldn't really develop critical thinking around science because it was like you need to know two things about a nuclear power station quick. And then you need to know three adaptations of a fish. And then you need to do this about the periodic table. And it was just like so much to cover and so Donna's saying that there's so little time for anything else that instead of celebrating what students actually know um we just force them through this bottleneck and as you know as we talked about earlier one third of them are destined to fail because we sort of um put so much emphasis on grades a couple of others quickly um Louise said 
that we need to focus, and they, they, these last two are about behavior rather than curriculum. Louise says we need to focus on um, stop, uh, sorry, we focus too much on how to stop negative behavior or how to respond to negative behavior and how to squash down and have detentions and silent corridors and what have you, uh, rather than how we can build positive relationships not just being nice to each other, but being emotionally honest. That's a really important one. Having those like, courageous conversations. A couple of people have commented on Brené Brown, who came up earlier as well. She said, Kate talks about being caring. Let's focus on, on caring about each other and kindness follows. And finally, Ian again says, I absolutely agree. I even struggled to use the definition of negative behavior. It can be and often is acceptable behavior with a, within a person's world. If we don't meet individuals with care, listen to them, listening came up earlier as well, and to support them to understand and learn why a behavior might be negative, then they might conform in that moment, but it's not really changing their intrinsic behavior. And that's something that I think is, is so missing as well from all of this top-down pressure is like, what happens if a kid goes into a school where there's, there are silent corridors and they're told what to do and when and how all the time, even if that gets amazing grades, what happens when those young people then go out into the world where there isn't somebody who's going to externally regulate them at every at every you know sign of difficulty, they're not going to be equipped. I mean, to be honest, it's an open question. We don't know. We haven't researched what the long-term outcomes are for young people who go through these very sort of you know tightly controlled schools. But my suspicion is that they have an external locus of control. They're, they they are you know externally regulated as people, and that they're going to struggle to uh, to to internalize that later on. So, um, and there's many more. There's, there's been lovely, vibrant conversation happening online that you can all catch up with later. So should we, should we have a round of last words? There's a lot to think about here from this first conversation, I think. Um, let's start with Natalie. Um, yeah, well, it's great as always. And um, I'll look forward to looking at the Facebook chat afterwards and um, the fact that it's reaching out and extending out to anybody who's interested is just what's fabulous about it um i've always thought that really education just needs to be like monsters inc and monsters university i don't know if people are familiar with the films they collect energy by um monsters collect energy by scaring kids to death um and it fills up the energy storage in Monsterland. Um, but uh, by accident, they find out that actually, instead of scaring kids, if they make them laugh, the, the more they collect this amazing amount of energy. And I just kind of think, yeah, you know, that's, it's as simple as that. If, um, we can have more laughter, more love, more kindness. The difference the world would be, um, and especially for young ones in schools, it would be amazing. Thank you. Kate. I just want to say that I love you all. There you are. I'm just putting more love out there. <laughs> love you too, Kate. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that question that Sarah said earlier, where is the love essentially? And that, you know, you were talking about, was it the head of the Bali school, the mm -hmm. green school in Bali who was talking about that? But that, that, that can happen in, in the mainstream. You know, there's a guy, there's a head teacher up north called Chris Dyson, I think it's called. Um, who's got a school that just is all permeated with love 
and it was a very challenging school in tough circumstances when he took it on and now it's like thriving in every direction and it's love it's like it's beautiful to see um so this can happen within the mainstream system and that's what's one thing that i'm keen to explore in the coming weeks and we're going to get head teachers and teachers of, of existing state schools like with this is not just talking about some groovy school in you know the dominican republic or in you know things that can happen outside of the system alternatives to school we can transform schools transform schools so that they succeed within many of the metrics of current schooling and they address this this sort of whole child agenda where we're developing well-being and helping them to self-regulate it's not an either or thing this doesn't necessarily deplete from you know getting them qualifications qualifications are no, really that's good that's what we were doing before isn't it we were doing this before in mainstream I just fancied living on a Caribbean island. Like you can do this in other places. It's just my personal choice. Kate got so good at self-regulation, she regulated her way to the Caribbean. I so, did. So beware anyone who's going down this journey. It could could take you in far. Could lead to absolute joy and happiness. <laughs> You've been warned. Kath. Oh, it's been great. I I feel like this is this is the village that uh, we all need, actually. And uh, and whatever we kind of go on to do, I feel like we're a bunch of bunch of gardeners, kind of um, uh, doing lots of of sowing of seeds and fertilizing. Seems like quite the wrong word, but you know what I mean. <laughs> and I'm looking forward to the next the next round of of campfire conversations because this is this is where change happens. You know, people getting together and talking and breaking out of the silos and 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 actually sharing everything we've been doing and our concerns and and successes I think is is a really powerful thing so thank you and thank you James and Kate for just pressing go not at all can we quickly hear from Zorro I saw that Zorro our resident uh mascot just put in an appearance <laughs> what do you think about all this Zorro <laughs> literally the cutest cat I've wanted to come to the to the Dominican Republic ever since he set the school but Zorro is what's tipping the balance like I need to get there before he becomes he's like growing exponentially each week so cute um Grace um well, I just wanted to say thank you for having me and having a young person on the campfire conversation because I think and I'm sure you all agree that it's important to like keep us included so that there's no discussion this the disconnect doesn't continue to grow um and yeah i'm looking forward to watching how how it progresses and how it grows yeah well thank you so much for joining us and i'd love to have you back on in the future to to hear more about your thoughts as you're going through this process of de-schooling and unlearning somebody picked that up in the comments unlearning how to be yourself and just figuring out what happens when you dismantle these ideas that you've grown up with and, and put something else in their place. So please do uh, join us again. That'd be lovely. Uh, Sarah. Uh, I think, yeah, Grace, I think some of the stuff you said was the most powerful stuff that I've heard in a long time. I'd love to hear a panel of your age and under, you know, forget about us, just have you guys because it's rich. Um, and yeah, so same as everyone else, I'm looking forward to meeting and chatting with people that can change the system from inside and outside, because I genuinely believed that I couldn't change the system from the inside. Whereas going through this journey with you lot, I've changed that now. I think it can be done. There just has to have enough people that are chipping in with their niche and what they're good at and what they've changed in their own circumstances to come together. Um, and I really think that we can do that together 
And thanks, everyone. Mm. Thank you all. So that, yeah, all that remains for me is to say thank you to everyone who's on the screen and, and to Kath's props. She has a marshmallow roasting there. I hope that some of the viewers um, brought their marshmallows as well. Um, and to everybody who's been watching us and the toasted one, thank you. <laughs> and there's, there's a lot of love for Zorro coming through in the chat, naturally. Um, here's the icing on the cake. Um, so yeah, thank you so much. I'm really, really pleased that we have started this. It feels like the start of something beautiful and long may it last. Um, so we will see you back here in two weeks time and Zorro will be the size of an elephant by then, according to my current graph of, of Zorro growth. <laughs> so um, thank you all very much. And we will see you next time, two weeks from today, whatever that is, Saturday, the something in May. Um, <laughs> we'll see you then. Thanks everyone. Okay, thank you. Bye. Kendall.